Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. It's such another Sunday. It's Sunday, October the 4th. It's so nice to be here because today here in San Francisco, it's the Castro Street Fair Day, which is a wonderful, it's like back-to-back weekends that we've had here. We had Folsom Street Fair last weekend, and this weekend on Sunday, it is Castro Street Fair, which is a long-standing fair, of course, um, started way back when in the in the 70s with um, Harvey Milk. And I'm sure you guys all know about Harvey Milk. And um, usually every year, too, there's always a, um, you know, a, a tribute for um, a particular cause or a particular person. And this year is kind of special for me because um, this is in honor of and tribute to one of my dear friends who passed away earlier this year in January, uh, my dear friend Cookie Doe. So this is going to be a very special Castro Street Fair for many, 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 many people that I know out there. Um, so hopefully everyone's out there enjoying the day as well, but hopefully maybe they have their little earphones in or listening into the program. But we have a wonderful show for you um, with some special interviews. I've got a couple of interviews for you. First of all, I'll be speaking with Brother um, Karakin, who is with, uh, I think it's with Night Ministries, generally speaking, but he's also on the board of two organizations, or, or sacred, sacred Spaces and Sacred Cocktails. And I know that sounds really weird when you talk about sacred cocktails, because I think every cocktail that I have anytime is sacred. I mean, I think it is. Holy water to me anyway. Um, but we're going to be talking about those two programs and a special fundraiser that's going to be going on um, for that. And then following, I will be, be speaking with San Francisco's very own RuPaul's Drag Race alum with Honey Mahogany. And she's got a couple of good things going on in the community right now, including some theatrical performances. And we'll talk about some other things with her. So that should be very interesting. But as always, I want to start off our day with the, the debate um, of the day. And I'm sure many of you have heard recently about some comments that actor Matt Damon made in regards to gay actors. And to be a little bit more specific, in an interview with uh, The Guardian, Matt made comments that alluded to, well, not even alluded to, basically came out and said that gay actors should stay in the closet if they want the career that they've always dreamed of. And he made some references to um, remembering Rupert Everett's um, coming out back in 1997, so we're talking, what, 18 years ago, almost 20 years ago, and how him being such a handsome actor, he is very handsome, and a classically trained actor, that after he came out, that it was it would be hard to argue that his coming out um, did not affect his career. And um, now, of course, we can go down the list of gay actors that are out there now who both do film and, and television and are pretty prolific in in both of those and are very successful in their career, such as um, Zachary Quinto, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, see Jim Parsons, Matt Bomer, Wentworth Miller. I mean, we can go on and on with a few people who have come out 
and are seem to be doing quite well with their careers. Now, he did try and, and I'm talking about Matt Damon now, he did try and also say that, or he did include that, he thought all actors should be a little mysterious about their lives in general, whether you're straight, gay, or whatever, because he feels that it's that mystery that kind of makes you a better actor, which I don't really quite understand that because that's the whole thing about acting. You know, that would be like saying to me, um, I am a drag queen. I um, am speaking to you today as such. Um, I do, I record as a drag queen music that is. I do acting. So the fact that people know that I'm a drag queen, I don't think makes my work harder to understand or less authentic, you know? So if I'm on a stage and I'm playing the role of a female, the fact that the people out there know that I'm not a female does not make my acting of that role any less efficient. So I didn't quite understand how that goes into play, how that makes you a better actor because of the mystery sexuality and all that. You know, he said sexuality is a big part of that mystery. Um, so I don't know. He did, you know, of course, the PR company that he works with, his PR people actually jumped on this as soon as he started getting some heat for the comments and got him on Ellen, uh, the Ellen DeGeneres show immediately so that he could help. So he, you know, could kind of explain. He said that the, his his comments were taken out of context and, you know, that he basically was just trying to say that he thought it was the more mystery that we have as an actor, better, you know, this kind of better for your your art and um but i i think that's just a, a bunch of I, I don't get me wrong um I, I i think it is on that he does not mean anything bad about it i'm sure he has tons of gay friends and he has been known as a you know a gay rights activist or not activist a supporter i think it's probably a better word for that and um but i i, I think he was kind of it's kind of blindsided. I don't think it is a bad thing. And it also just goes to the question where a lot of people say um, that's always been out there is that some people think in the gay community that if you are in a profession of any note where being an out person in that profession could add some, um, could help the community to some, you know, to let people know, particularly our young people to know that living life as a gay person, you can still realize your dreams. If your dream is to be a doctor and you're gay, you can still be a doctor. If you want to be an actor and you're gay, you can still be an actor. Um, so a lot of people think that if you are in those professions of, you know, whole high profile professions that you should come out because it does, help number one the dialogue it also just helps people see that we are in all walks of life um but others feel that you know your sexuality is nobody's business and um if you're an actor there's nothing that says that you need to come out but him saying that you need to stay in the closet in order to uh, realize your dreams as a prolific actor or actress or what have you i think is kind of um you know kind of archaic now his example of Rupert Effort, you have to, that was 18 years ago. And there was, as even before that, there was a time when, of course, being closeted was something that was not a choice. You pretty much did have to do that. We, we, can, we can go down the list of people before that, Rock Hudson and many, many more who were closeted or, you know, stay, the industry knew, of course, but stayed, you know, the public wasn't well aware 
of uh, their sexuality because they were, you know, these macho actors and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, trying to equate 1997 actor coming out to today's actors coming out, I think is he's missing He's missing the boat a little bit on that. So so that's kind of my debate out there that I'm going to go out, throw out to you. What what do you think, public, what do you think that, you know, about the gay, the gay actor question? Should should they come out if, if they feel they need to? I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, we all have coming out stories and we all come out when it's right for us to do, to, do so. But if one feels that they want to come out, um, should they think that if they do as an actor that it's going to hurt their career and they should stay closeted? Or if they feel that they want to, they should go ahead and do that. But, you know, I mean, we could add layers to this debate and say, you know, do they have an obligation to? But I don't want to even get into that. I just really kind of want to deal with, do you think that, you know, that gay actors should stay in the closet if, you know, their whole idea is to um, excel in their profession? Um, and if you have any Things that you'd like to let me know about that and I can uh, bring to the table next week. Go ahead and email your comments to it's everything at bbsweetbriar.com. Again, that's email it to it's everything at bbsweetbriar.com. Um, another thing I, I wanted to bring out to you is um, um, kind of pertaining to the movie industry is because we just had last weekend the release of Stonewall, the film that, you know, everyone has been somewhat anticipating, I think, because of all the controversy uh, surrounding the film. Of course, the controversy is that it is a fictional retelling of the uh, Stonewall riots of 1969 and the protagonist in the film who you know is basically the hero of of the story is a fictional blonde um straight acting type of um character um and um there was a lot of controversy about that just because it, it just doesn't hit upon what really happened who you know who were the people in the forefront of of the um activism that was going on there and um, so anyway, it, it, it opened last weekend and it, it did very poorly, <laughs> I guess is the best way to say that. It, it did very poorly. Um, it brought in receipts for the weekend, its first weekend of $112,000. And they were in 129 theaters. So if you just kind of do the math really quickly, it's a little over $170 per theater. Okay. A hundred, you can't even employ me for a hundred eight hundred seventy dollars. But I mean, that so you know it came in twenty ninth place in the top earners list for for the weekend of of films, and um you know even surrounding like surround that controversy you know even I think made it even worse when the uh, Roland um, Emmerich, who's the director and creator of this film, um said that he defend, he defended his reasoning for putting this fictional character in a straight acting one as that um, to BuzzFeed uh, in a BuzzFeed interview. And he was saying that by using a straight acting protagonist, he, he, needed, he felt he needed to do so because he wanted to hold the appeal for heterosexual film go goers. And I thought, hmm, 
Well, this is a, I, I, I'm just kind of blown away by that. But, <laughs> but, um, but what's so funny about it is that the film has been, you know, panned pretty much by critics out there. Uh, I think, uh, was it Rotten Tomatoes? I think gave it a seven before the film came out. And then it gave it a 10 after the film came out. Woohoo! Um, but what's so funny is of those, uh, um, I don't know how many people make up the eight, 112,000. I don't know how many actual goers went to the film to see it that weekend, but a poll of those people, you know, of course it's a sampling, um, not, not, they gave it a 95 out of 100. So the film goers have a different view of the film, obviously, than the film critics, which is not unusual, but that's a big difference, a 95 versus a 10. I mean, I think that's kind of, so this is what I'm throwing out to you. I know there's a lot of controversy of people. It almost got what um, uh, picketed and uh, boycotted and that type of thing. Um, but maybe we should go see it. Maybe we should. That's a big difference. Somebody's got to be screwed up in that review. You know, are are the critics just doing the review because of the controversy behind what the, you know, what the storytelling is? And the film goers are like, hey, we know that this isn't the real thing that happened. But the way the story is told, like any other fictional film, okay, that it was good. So maybe we need to put the side that we do. There's a lot of films that are made based on truth that is not factual in the way it's presented to us. That There's tons of them out there. Um, so maybe we just need to put aside that this, is a, this was not delivered to us as a historical film. So we need to remember that. And um, maybe we should just go see it and look at it as a storytelling of, you know, a story of a story. I don't know. You just might want to look at it because obviously a lot of people like it who went to see it. Um, so anyway, think about that. And as we um, go take a little break, we're going to prepare ourselves for our first guest who will be Bro. Um, I, 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 I'm not for sure how to pronounce his last time. So I'm just going to say I'm going to be talking to a brother. <laughs> yeah, and I'll let you figure that one out yourself. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for staying with us. I really appreciate it. And we're going to go into our our second segment where we'll have our first interview for the day. I'm really happy. Again, remember, it's Castro Street Fair. Yay! I'm so happy about that. Um, and I am so happy to welcome our first guest, even though I butchered 
his name at the intro, you know, but hey, you know, I'm human. I'm human and we do these things. We do this thing. Um, Brother Karakin, how are you? Very well, BB. How are you? Today? I'm fine. I'm so sorry that I kind of, you know, made a mess of your, your name out there. It's so it's just, it's just like when people always call me Bebe instead of BB, and it's like, you know, come on now. So I really do apologize um, so oh, much. Don't for, worry. Everybody does. You know, I, it's, probably, it's like my 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 um, my birth name um, is, is one that I always got butchered as well. And my father has a, a weird first name and he had the same problem. So it's like I think when you're like that, it's kind of like, OK, you're used to it. Everybody should get a, a bit of that. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, let's talk about why you're here on the show now uh, one thing that i wanted to ask you is exactly i know you're on the board of directors for sacred spaces um but are you also involved with sacred cocktails well sacred cocktails is a part of sacred space so yes indeed i surely am okay and now are you also a part of um night ministries well, uh, Sacred Space San Francisco is uh, a, a ministry provided by San Francisco Night Ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all part and parcel of the same kind of umbrella organization that offers pastoral care and support to folks here in San Francisco. Okay, see, that answers all those questions. Now, now Sacred Spaces, I know, um, is somewhat specific, though, because that is something that is handled, that is done in the Castro area. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Sacred Space is an opportunity to offer pastoral care and presence to specifically the LGBT community here in San Francisco in the Castro area. Mm-hmm. Now, now you guys do this around the same evening hours. I wouldn't say exactly as late as some of the night ministry. Well, the night ministry that goes on, you know, usually after midnight or and does the whole streets of San Francisco. But it sure. is it is during you know evening hours that I know that you make yourselves available during uh, for um, those in the LGBTQ community or those in the Castro area as you, as you are walking the streets there. But I, but I, I wanted to kind of go back even further than to go back from today and that when did this actually become something that people figured needed to be done? What, what was the kind of the catalyst that said, hey, we need to, you know, provide something to this population, this community um, that you felt was missing? What was going on that kind of was the catalyst to that? Sure. Well, the idea of having a presence here in the Castro goes all the way back to the 1980s during the AIDS pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an organization called the Parsonage that actually had a space right on Castro Street and was a drop-in center where folks who were struggling with issues of HIV and AIDS and the lost friends and everything else had a place where they could go and talk to somebody who was of a spiritual kind of presence for folks mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Now, that disappeared a good number of years ago, and we've noted that over the years, as LGBTQ issues become increasingly public, uh, you know, we're talking about rights, we're talking about engaging, you know, our civil rights, marriage equality, everything else, the backlash from religious conservatives in the United States has grown really large. And we know and, and, and sense deeply that every time, you know, conservative religious folks cry out and scream and carry on about us securing equal rights here in the United States, that many LGBT people are wounded by that. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are people who are carrying the burden of hearing themselves talked about 
endlessly in the public sphere, and people are saying terrible things. Mm -hmm. And we just figured that it was time for us again to assert a more accepting um, and, and embracing view um, of progressive religious identity in the Castro for folks who who need that who need that care and need that attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the whole idea that you can either be LGBT or you can be religious, but you can't be both. Um, it's hugely mistaken. There are a great number of LGBT people who belong to faith communities of one kind or another, mm-hmm. and to feel like they're being polarized and set against. Uh, you know, religious concerns or spiritual identities is really not there. So we try to help people find ways to address that by being a pastoral presence and support. Which I think is absolutely fabulous. And particularly, you know, with, um, we were just kind of, kind of weird that here in, in, in San Francisco, in the Castro district, we do have a, you know, a, a real prevalent, um, a Catholic church that has, you know, had some issues with um, you know the drag queens being at at mass, and we we can go on going on with the list of things that, and this is a church that is in the you know the center of the gay community in San Francisco, which is kind That's of weird. right. And so it's kind of funny that you know it's like um, they're supposed to be that spiritual, be have an open door for those who are seeking spiritual guidance and and all of that, and yet where they are, they're saying the majority of the population that they're sitting in the middle of, we don't really kind of want you here. So it's kind of, kind of, it's kind of sad to do that. Now, one thing that I, you know, I've I've definitely seen uh, many of um, people um, giving pastoral, is that how you say it? Pastoral guidance or pastoral, um, a pastoral ear. Sure. A pastoral Mm -hmm. ear. Cause that's what I think that, you know, one thing I can, I can vouch for to the, the public at large about, sacred spaces is that um there isn't this preachy thing that you guys are doing out there you're not going out there and someone is you obviously sitting maybe in need you see that are in need or you offer hey do you need someone to talk to la 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 you're not sitting out there preaching a book of gospels to oh no you know what i mean and i so i want the public to realize that that's not what this is is about you know, sure. Uh, yeah, it's not it's, about that at all. It's not about uh, it's not about converting people. It's not about putting people's butts in church seats in the pews. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> it's not about any of that. It's really just about being present and listening. And yeah, I mean, whether you're a spiritually, you know, a spiritual person or you're not, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is is that uh, you have an ear, somebody to listen to you, somebody to meet you where you are and hear your concerns and let you know that you know, you're not alone in them and that people are listening and that we care. Um, and that above all, we just want your heart to be settled. Yeah. Now, one thing you did, you mentioned, of course, in the, in your, um, historical, um, um, uh, you know, dialogue, there are statement that you did as far as, um, how this all came about or where it kind of began and how it began. And you mentioned that, you know, there was then more of a need for people. You mentioned HIV and AIDS, the loss of friends, um, those who are dealing with um, contracting the virus. Um, what it seems to be now a little bit more, is there, is there a central um, theme to what people are going through that you're seeing as you are, as people are, as you're actually walking the streets and talking to people? I mean, I would think that homelessness is really a big 
topic for a lot of people. We do know that a high percentage of people who are homeless do identify as LGBTQ. So I, I was wondering, is there a central theme that you're seeing that people are like, are really so down about or struggling with that when you're talking to them? Well, I think absolutely. You know, I think that, that homelessness is a huge issue um, and housing insecurity along with that as everybody watches San Francisco change um, and become unaffordable for, mm-hmm. for most of us, you know, who have been living here for many years, you know, that they see, um, you know, they feel themselves or they see friends struggling just to stay here in the city or having to move away because they can no longer afford the rent or, you know, so homelessness, housing insecurity is a huge issue. Um, folks on the margins of the LGBT community feeling excluded, trans people feeling excluded, mm-hmm. drag queens feeling excluded, um, always wondering if they're going to be able to sustain their lives here uh, mm-hmm. as, you know, LGBT issues become more mainstream. Those who, you know, occupy the kind of fringes of our community feel left behind and feel left out. And so we hear anxieties about that and frustrations about that. That's, um, that's, that's so interesting how you said, and I love those on the fringe. I like that. I, I don't know if I've actually heard it identified that way before, because, it, it, you know, as we talk about, you know, as we get more in the mainstream, the things that are becoming more in the mainstream are the things that already fit into the agenda of the mainstream. You know, those of us, those of us who occupy you know, regular jobs and those of us who do regular things, of course, are easier to kind of um, merge into the mainstream versus those people who do things that are somewhat, you know, specifically identified with the LGBTQ community. You mentioned drag queens, you know, of course, transgender people um, are, 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 are part of that. You know, that's specific. That is not something that you can merge into something that doesn't exist there, you know. So, um, so I, I love how you said that. Those on the fringe. I love that. Thank you for that. I, I'm going to oh, sure. I'm going to use that a lot. <laughs> it, it's, it's so important. I mean, it really is. You know, the, the community has such incredible diversity diversity of opinions and diversity of identities and self-presentation in the community. And to the extent that, you know, our, our movement for rights kind of, kind of fits into the heteronormative, whatever that is, you know, kind of model of, you mm-hmm. know, getting married and settling down and having a family. Well, look, we don't all think that that's, you know, necessarily the perfect model. Right, exactly. And, there are all kinds of people who don't fit that and all kinds of people whose concerns for equality and acceptance just get left behind. And no. it's something we hear a lot of. Now, are there particular specific days that um, we can find um, those with sacred spaces out in, in the Castro? Well, usually um, sacred, spaces, sacred space night ministers are out most nights during the week. Um, I think that there's one or two, like maybe uh, Sundays and Mondays, they tend to have off. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can usually find uh, sacred space ministers at uh, any of the imperial or ducal court events. They're usually there because they often act as chaplains for the imperial court and the ducal court. Um, if there are fundraisers for specific organizations, you can usually find sacred space ministers at a beer bus here or a beer bus there, um, you know, sitting and listening and talking with folks. Um, Mother Diana Wheeler is out on the streets 
Oh, constantly. Five nights a week. Yeah, constantly. constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That and the and I and the real reason that I you know I wanted to have well an added reason to have you on the show is because this is is you know funding for this is pretty non-existent unless it's self-raised. I'm, I'm assuming you're not getting That's any right. city funds. You're not getting any um, other. Um, funds from other organizations that help disperse to um, LGBTQ services or anything like this. This is money that is being raised from the ground up. You know, this that is, sure is right. And so we're having a, or you're having a big fundraiser um, on Friday, the, what, the 9th, I do believe. October 9th. That's um, and that's going to be at St. Aiden's Episcopal Church, which happens to be my place of worship. And um, right. which is, you know, getting back to what you said before, you know, it's one of those places that definitely is, is so welcome. And it is not an LGBTQ specific um, place of worship, but it's so welcoming. And there's so many people that that do attend that particular um, um uh, St. Aidan's that um, you, sometimes people think it is, but it's, it's really not. Um, that's but that's right. where that's where the fundraiser and it's happening between, I do believe, 7, it starts at 7 p.m. I don't know how long it goes, but it does start at 7 p.m., correct? Yeah, that starts at 7 o'clock on October 9th, that's right. And uh, St. Aidan's, I do believe the address is 1101 Goldmine, but I could be wrong on it, but it is on Goldmine and Diamond up in Diamond Heights in San that's Francisco. Right, yeah. So those of us locally who um, attend, um, there'll be performances. I'm sure there'll be a, some discussion on the services that um, Sacred Spaces also offers. And this is also a part of um, Sacred Cocktails, which, like I said at the beginning of the program, which you probably did not hear, but it was like, I always figure every cocktail I pick up is sacred. That is how I kind of <laughs> deal. That's kind of how I deal with it. But, um, but Sacred Cocktails differs from Sacred Spaces, and from my understanding and my attendance to it is that's for an opportunity for people to come and listen to stories and to journeys and to um, words um, from those in the ministry about certain things. It's not so much um, maybe a healing period of time, but it is one where we can get some information and at least tell some of our stories. Is is that? That's right. Okay. And that that happens at Lookout, which is a Castro neighborhood uh, bar, an award-winning bar, who's an extreme um, help to many organizations because they've raised nearly um, $900,000 in their 11 here year history um or is it 11 i think they're celebrating i don't know what years though i think it's 11 years that they've been open it might be not but they're coming close to it um but in their short amount of time they've raised that they've been uh kind of you know helping helpful helped in raising that amount of money which is a lot of money they're um, wonderful hosts they're yeah cocktails and for so many organizations here in the city they really do great work so well, I want to thank you for being on the program and getting an opportunity, A, to kind of let people know who aren't aware of what Sacred Spaces does on a daily basis, on evenings, um, and also to talk about the fundraiser, which is very important for continuing the services. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, thank you. And I hope you're going to get an opportunity to go Castro Street Fair. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll be there doing pet blessings on Sunday. Oh, great, great. Well, we're going to take another break, and when I come back, we'll have the one and only Honey Mahogany.
I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Well, we're back. We're back. We're back. That was a wonderful message by Miss Hecklina, who's the owner of Oasis. I love that place. A wonderful, wonderful facility. And we're going to actually talk to someone who's actually going to be, who's actually doing a show there at the moment, which is kind of fabulous. You know, I've interviewed many of the RuPaul Drag Race uh, alum, both winners and just uh, those who were um, competitors, but you know, we have one right here in our own backyard that I don't get an opportunity to talk to as much as I would love to because she's just that damn busy. And so I'm just pleased as punch to have Honey Mahogany on the line. How are you, dear? Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm fine now. Can I, can I ask you a question real quick about yeah. is, 11, is, is this time of day just like a hard time of day? You know, like, not so much. I mean, today was actually, I got up pretty early. Um, I've been doing that lately. I've been trying to, you know, get my life together and <laughs> get up early so I, can, <laughs> so I can have the rest of my day and, like, you know, actually go out through the daylight. But, you know, for most of us who work in the nightlife, I think any time before noon is a little, like, oh, geez, we have to be up in the a.m. You know? I know, I know. But you know what's so funny because I tell people that all the time. It's like, you know, I go, it is like that. I said, but, you know, I get up at the same time every day, and it's at 6 a.m. It doesn't matter what time I went to bed. Now, that doesn't mean uh, I, yeah. I go to sleep at some other period, but my body just says, you know what, it's 6 a.m., and I'm going to 
interrupt this two hour sleep you just had and um, get up. you up. Right. And wake you up. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, I can't do all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's real. I, I really want to, I, I always enjoy speaking with you because, you know, I read your tweet tweets on Twitter and, you know, it's, you're one of those um, people out there who not only is just beautiful and a great entertainer, but you really do have a lot to say on a lot of different yeah. subjects. And it's really great to, to, you know, because I know how many young people just look up to you and, and, and follow you and it's really great to, that you actually have some interesting things or you pose the debate out there on different issues all the time and so it's really mm-hmm. good to keep up with you on those things Thanks. too but I, I also that. think that sometimes because you are in the, our backyard here in San Francisco that some people do you just kind of get lost in the we, we, we forget sometimes that you know that we have th- these these great celebrities and people who are significant in our community, um, not mm-hmm. just notable here, but notable nation and worldwide. And we kind of miss that sometimes because we just think that those people live elsewhere. You know what I mean? It's like, right. you know, those celebrities live in LA and New York and they don't live here, right? No, we do have them here. And um, so I, I just love to, to, to remind people by bringing some of those people on the show from time to time. And so you're here and you're doing so much stuff. And, and uh, we well, just need to- for having me. Of course, of course. Well, I want to start off with what you're doing, like, specifically right now, because you are doing a new show at Oasis um, um, that is kind of unique in that we're familiar with having um, uh, TV shows and, you know, TV series done as not parodies, but just reenacted with drag queens playing the female roles. We've had, we've had, you know, Designing Women, we've had Roseanne, we've had, of course, the Golden Girls, we have all those shows that I've been doing, but we haven't had, to my knowledge, any shows that have done the reverse where they've had drag kings as the major stars um, doing the roles, the male roles. And so the show you're in is Star Trek Live, um, which has that going on, but of course, you're playing the wonderful, gorgeous, beautiful, voluptuous Uhura. <laughs> yes, John Nichols' role. Yeah, isn't that? Yes. And you, the photos that I'm seeing in the poster, you look amazing. Thank you. Well, you know, I mean, Becky Motor Lodge did the hair for that, and um, yeah, so uh, it, it, it's just um, amazing. Amy um, Sarazan did the costuming, and I think it's just, um, you know. What can I say? I mean, I think they did a great job. They 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 really went for the realness of it, and you know, and she's really obsessed about that. Like she wants it to be perfect. So yeah. Now this is it out. Now this is the Mud Women. Um, Muds Women. Yeah. Yes. And um, it's funny because actually, I think they did the show. Um, I was talking to Lori, who is um, who plays um, Mud, mm-hmm. um, and she said that they did the show about ten years ago, um, and um, so this is sort of like a re. Um, not a reenactment, but like a, you know, a restaging of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course I wasn't around back then. I was, you know, I was two, you um, were two, you were two years yeah, old. I was two you. years old. Exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so this was the first time I'd ever seen it done live. And, um, and it was, it was, there was some real excitement around it, um, for me, um, because I'd never really gotten the opportunity to do, um, a show with Darcy before, you know, I mean, yeah. we've known each other for a long time, but we've never really worked together. And so when she approached me and she said, you know, well, I just wanted to ask, you know, because I wasn't sure if you do this kind of thing, but um, I was wondering if you'd be open to um, playing Uhura in this um, in this episode of Star Trek we're planning on doing at Oasis. And, you know, I, of course, jumped at the chance because I, I just think that Darcy's amazing and 
Um, and I and I love that. Um, I love Oasis and you know sort of what it's become um, in the community, which is like a queer-owned and yeah um, place where drag and theater and 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 things with some a little more production value can happen. Yeah, and de- um, and definitely because you know we we're losing spaces left and right, and particularly for the, the you know the theater, those in the theater world, it's really hard to find projects to do and for those out there you know since we're broadcasting you know across the world and um is that um you know darcy drawlinger is not is also a co-owner of oasis space and um um but is just a renowned nationally renowned i know i'm i wouldn't be surprised if people tell me internationally that her work is uh, you know his work is known um but you know directs writes so many different shows, plays, and musicals, and everything else out there, and puts these on at Oasis, and um, as you were saying, it's just phenomenal, and, you know, I've never been a part of anything that Darcy's done either, so, um, you know, it's always, that's one of the things on my bucket list to, to kind of cross And aren't you just about to fix that also? Aren't you something I am going, well, I will be soon doing that, you're correct, next weekend, um, I'll have an opportunity to step in for you as you have another engagement that you ha- have to fulfill. And I get to, you know, so I get to do two things on my bucket list. I get to mark off working with Darcy in one of her productions. And two, I get to step in the shoes of Honey Mahogany. That was not on your <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? I get to step into the shoes of Honey Mahogany. Oh I don't even want them not to, literally. I don't even want them I to change. Like I don't even want them to change the billing on the on the program. I just really want to. Be, I want to be Honey Mahogany for the whole day. Okay. I just, <laughs> well, you know, because people still to this day, every once in a while, will, will come up to me and be like, "Hey, BB," and I'm like, "Girl." Oh, I, I, please, she's honey. So much thinner than I am. Well, well, we don't. <laughs> and you're just so much more beautiful. So I don't even want to go there. So oh, I, really? you know, I, I love it when people do it for me, honey. I, I take it. I take it, honey. I take it in. And we talk. We talk about all the stuff you're doing as if I'm you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, you are doing a lot, and I know um, that you are, you know, you do your Monday, your your Mahogany Mondays every Monday at Midnight Sun, which is your your stage, your time to right. just do your thing and have your guest performers on that. And you've been doing that for quite some time now, since, since your yeah. appearance on, on RuPaul's Drag Race. So how long has it actually been going on now? Three years? Four? You know, it's almost three, I think. Oh, God, yeah. It's almost that. As the three-year anniversary, I think. Yeah, I'm like, because well, you gotta have a big. You better find out the date because you need to have an anniversary party. It's in December. It's like right before Christmas. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So three years I of know. doing this weekly, which we, I, know. You know, I know how hard that is. You know how that is. I know. I know and and know. on a Monday at that, girl. Ooh, honey. Girl, I don't, I know. You, you know, on a Monday at that. So you're doing that, but also what I'm excited to hear is that you're back in the studio. You're trying to do some stuff musically because you are, you know, a a prevalent singing queen and with a wonderful voice. And and I know you've released a few tracks out there that have done, done well and definitely brought, uh, you know, the right attention to your talent. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the studio and how that's coming along? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've been working with Paul Brewer from music and he, he sort of, um, uh, taking me a little bit under his wing and ha- set me up with a couple different like uh, producers and also um, to um, give me the opportunity to work with Jeannie Tracy, who mm-hmm. is um, you know uh, an amazing um, disco and dance singing diva 
Um, you should, and you should sing with Sylvester. Sylvester. And, yeah. 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 And, and, and Martha Walsh. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, she's just, she's amazing. And she, she's helped me a lot. And so, um, we worked on a track together, um, against track and, um, hopefully that will be released sometime soon, but I think we're actually trying to get together some sort of like a more full package. So we're recording that and we're, we're working on a couple other songs and then we're also remixing a bunch of songs that I've already done. Um, including, you know, my, my sort of breakup single of It's Honey mm-hmm. and, um, and, and possibly a couple songs off of the Honey Love EP, which I released, which were all sort of, you know, more, um, they were pop songs, but they were, you know, more like mellow pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, we're just going to pick a couple of tracks from there to also remix, wow. as well as a bunch of new tracks. So yeah, yeah I've been working, working hard on that. I've also had the opportunity to, um, work a little bit um, with Kat Roby's show of The Voice, mm-hmm. who is also living in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And she, um, she's, you know, sat down with me and given me a few sort of like vocal coaching tips and, and, um, and helped me a lot. So that's been really, really great, just being able to like, you know, get back into like taking care of your voice and, and exercising your voice. Like that, those are things that I used to do all the time. And then, you know, when you get like sort of sucked into the nightlight, you end up like working so much and you sort of like forget that you need to take care of your voice. Oh, you would take care of, I, you know, Tony, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. And that is, that is, that is the, one of the, the, the downfalls of working in the nightlife a lot. If you happen to be a singer or even uh, someone who speaks a lot, if you happen to be a speaker or something of that nature, right. because you, you know, if you happen to be a drinker, you know, you have to watch that and, and, and definitely because that affects your voice and, and whatnot. So I totally can under, and just being up late, you know, just being up late and, yeah. you know, if you're out on the patio and people are smoking, just, you're just around an environment that's just not very conducive for, um, you know, your, 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 your vocal cords at all. So I totally can understand yeah. the challenges that has to, that, that brings to it. Plus you usually on your show every Monday, I mean, you live sing you know, uh, um, most of the time. So, you know, you, you have to not only just protect it for the studio, you have to, you, you actually are performing every, you know, every Monday you're going to be singing, not just, you know, right. every now and again, if you get a gig or something. So, you know, that's going to be happening. So that's yeah. definitely challenging. Now with, with you doing this, um, you know, the show, this live stage production, I do know you've been also doing some stuff in film, haven't you? In film? In film? Um, well, I mean, not, not, well, yeah, well, you know, I've been working on different projects. I've um, been doing a few parody videos. Mm-hmm. Um, I just um, finished filming my part in um, a new parody that's cut, being produced by Adrian Onchando, who did, like, you know, Duncan Love and, and um, In and Out Mission and a bunch of other videos. Um, he did that a Daniel Frenzy's parody of Dempsey's, um You were in that, weren't you? No. Um, um, Please Go Home. No, 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 no. You weren't? Oh, okay. Um, for some reason, I thought you were. Um, maybe because Roma was in it, and I was, you know, I always... And since we're joined at the hip, is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, you should have been in it. Um, anyway. Well, let um, me, it, can, I, can I ask you to do something? Can you stay with me for a few more minutes? Sure. Okay, I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to okay. come back. We're going to finish your upcoming little work there. And then I'm going to ask you a question to give you a little time to think for a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask you how difficult, if there is any, any challenges at all of you being a, a drag queen to, and actually doing, um, non parody music. Okay. Oh, I'm going to, yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you about that. 
Okay, let's take this break and we'll be right back. Sure. listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Okay, we're back. We're back. We're back. I'm back with Honey Mahogany, San Francisco's very own RuPaul's Drag Race alum, and actually only uh, drag queen to actually appear on the show after seven seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. So that's something no one can take from you, baby. Um, The first and only, you know. But we were talking before we went to break about, you know, you and doing some of the the, uh, parody video that you have coming up and some other works that you're Um, doing. Yeah, well, you know, I also, I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, well, this is what I'm working on right now, but, like, I did, you know, film uh, a couple months ago, and I think it's just now being released, is Hush Up Sweet Charlotte. Yes, um, that's what I was getting to, child. Okay. Okay. All right, see? <laughs> that's what I was like, getting well, what to. What I'm working on right now. And, yeah, that that is coming out very soon. I've been watching some of the trailers that have been circulating out there. And on that, who are the, some, you've been working, that's Mar- Matthew Martin's in that, right? Matthew Martin, uh, Katya Smirnoff-Sky, um, the Tom Shaw Trio, um, who else is in it? Uh, um, oh, let me think. There's a lot of people. Well, oh, Hakuna had a scene in it. Yeah, and you, um, okay. But, I mean, that alone, I mean, those, you've mentioned three names, well, four names, because um, Tom Shaw is, is amazing. Um, that, that's a cast right there that is you know, so much talent. It's like beyond talent. Like, Yes. You know, it's like outer space talent. Right. And then, so also, like, Evan Johnson or or Martha Kielipson is in it. She's sort of, like, one of the three stooges with me. Oh, okay. Um, I know Raja's in it. And then I also know, um, oh, my gosh, and I'm blanking on her name right now. And it's really embarrassing because she's really famous. Um, uh, Oh, my gosh. Not Barla Jean. From the East Coast. Yes, Oh, Barla Jean Merman. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh, my. And, um, yeah, and Meek Soul is in it as well. Wow. Now, that had to be a, yeah. a fun experience, no matter how large or small your part was. That had to be a great experience. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was, it was, it was, it was definitely a fun time. Well, you know, we, we were kind of, as I said, I wanted you to kind of think about it because, as you know, I, I also sing as you, you know, I'm also a singer. Yeah, and and I, I'm not a parody singer. I don't do parody, even though my mind is that warped. I am that warped. Um, but I don't, you know, make my, I don't present my music in that, in that way. And you're also, uh, like that. And you've done, like you've done videos. Um, you've actually done, um, you know, where I've concentrated primarily on dance music, you've done some very great emotional pieces, um, in your music that, and the videos are just absolutely beautiful. Um, and you know, I know there's it's sometimes hard as a drag queen to have people take our talent seriously if it's outside of what a lot of people think drag queens do, which is, you know, they're comedic. 
um, you know, they, they do the parody singing or they attempt to make fun of singing. You know, they're not even trying to sing correctly or anything like that. So that right. when you when you are a an actor like Matthew Martin's an actor, um, um, you know, some, or even Katya Smirnoskaya who sings wonderfully, uh, and then you sing wonderfully, and you're doing something more on a serious vein. I guess might be the way to say it. it may not be the best way to describe right. it, but that they don't want to take that seriously. Um, and it, it's great that you're working with a, a very well-known producer in your music, which, you know, it makes it even more credible of what you're doing. But how has it been for you to, to kind of do what you want to do and have the right people take you seriously? Well, I think that, um, I think that it's always hard. I think that, you know, when, especially when you're going into a room or you're, you're meeting a producer and they hear that you're a drag queen, that things are all, you know, automatically sort of like, um, shudder inside, mm-hmm. and um, th- because you know they're telling you like, oh my god, like can't you really sing? You know, can't you know like how much work is it going to be for me? Like we really want to go down that road, and also because of that, because we are sort of associated with parody a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going back to like artists like Jackie V, and you know, and even to, to an extent RuPaul, because a lot of the music that she had out initially was very like camp, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, um, so it is a little bit more difficult, I think, to, um, and and sort of uncharted territory, sort of start doing music that was a little more serious. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there have been, um, other performers that are both, you know, trans and drag queens that have probably done it before. Um, I know, I know definitely that, you know, Veronica Klaus, you know, who's an amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. jazz singer and and a member of our community has, um, put out a, a serious jazz album and you know it's been amazing and joey arias mm-hmm. is another artist who's done stuff like that As New York. Um, right but um you know there really isn't that much of a precedent for it and, it, and, and sometimes it feels like there isn't a market for it like people don't appreciate it as much mm-hmm. as maybe they do some of the other stuff um and maybe maybe because the other stuff is more commercial and more um eye-catching in a way because you know it is um a little more um in your face and slapstick and um you no, know, I hate using words like highbrow and lowbrow, but it is a little more lowbrow, you know, and, and that stuff tends to um, garner more attention because it's, you know, like tabloids, you know, it's like an easy, um, an easy audience grab. Well, you know, and, I, um, it, it's kind of interesting too because I think, you know, I keep thinking about the days when, when like um, Tina Marie first came out, and that that's the first one that comes to mind. But there are a couple of others where, because of what they did did not fit for, you know, for so long, people thought Tina Marie was a, a black female singer. Even to, right. even when Madonna first came out, um, people thought that she was black. Right. And so right. a lot of people used that, like they kept it a secret. You didn't know what they looked like at first. Um, right. The first Tina Marie album was a white cover and there was no pictures at all of her. And you didn't right. even like know who she was. And I'm kind of thinking like, if if there was a way for people to get, into the music first, you know what I mean? Right. And not have, you know, you know, it's kind of too late for you, honey. Everybody knows who Honey Mahogany is, so it's kind of too right. late for you. But, like, you know, it's like if they didn't, if you were come out, and then it's like, oh, oh, and then, by the way, this happens to be, you know, um, it, it might exactly. be a little bit easier. But when it's somebody who's already known in the community, known in the art world, it's sometimes a little bit more difficult. And I, I just kind of wanted to kind of hit upon that a little bit so that people kind of get an idea of, you know, we all have our dreams and we all have, you know, our challenges with uh, obtaining our dreams. And I think 
as drag queens, sometimes it's even, there's an added layer because, you know, we're not only actors or actresses, you know, whether it, you know, be a drag queen or something of that nature, but we've got that extra added layer of people trying to take us seriously, you know what I mean? And, right. and our art seriously. And um, I just wanted to kind of hear what your thoughts were as you have gone through your career, because this is your career now. I know that you, you know, for those of you who don't out there that um, um, Honey did, you know, was in social work for many years and um, worked with young kids very, you know, I, I loved what you did. I remember when I first found out what you did and we talked about that mm -hmm. years ago, but you have now actually taken on doing your career um, as a entertainer full time. Is that correct? I know. Yeah, that's it's amazing, and it's like you know, I, I, I there are definitely parts of being a social worker that I miss, but like it's also, um, you know, like doing this. You, you know, when they say that you know, love what you do because you know that I, mean, I really love what I do, um, and it's never a struggle for me to actually have to like do my job, and you know, everything yeah. that I do is sort of a pleasure. So it, um, and that was true with social work too. I think I really enjoyed that, but um, it's nice not having to like you know split myself in half and live that sort of double life and yeah. be pulled into different directions. Well, honey, I just want to thank you for being on the show. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm sure everyone out there listening is enjoying listening to what you have to say. And hopefully you'll come back and be on the show some other time and we can just follow up with what's going on with you. Sure, I love it. Well, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Oh, no problem. And, and don't I will see you at Mahogany Mondays this Monday. Right? Oh, you sure will. And don't forget to check out... Honey at Star Trek Live at Oasis um, on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. And um, you can go to www.sfoasis.com for more information. I want to bid you all today happy Castro Street Fair. And hopefully I'll see you back here on It's Everything. Bye-bye.